have found the BBC podcast featuring your incredibly handsome host, Jesse Barney. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, to the BDC podcast, where we talk about design and how what we design designs us in return. Today is a special day because it's really the launch of the actual podcast. This is the third episode, technically, but in another way, it's the first episode. The actual first episode was really episode zero. It was the beta. And it was just to see if I could get it done and put it out and get it on the internet and actually just physically accomplish it. Uh, That I did. That was a year ago, a little over a year ago. Now, uh, fast forward a year, I decided that I really wanted to do this. And I decided that I had enough uh, people in my life that were worth Uh, interviewing and worth sharing with all of the people that I know and that I had enough of an angle to bring some really interesting stuff to you. So that being said, here we are. It's the first of many interviews and I am so overjoyed to have my wonderful friend Jason Pinsky joining us today. He's an amazing human being. Uh, I like to say, and he might, uh, uh, shy at this, but I like to say that he's one of the most underrated people that I know. He knows more about cannabis science than anybody that I know, even the scientists. Uh, He has been involved with music also since the 90s. We share an immense um, love and and, uh, appreciation for the same things. And in fact, Jason has worked with many of my favorite bands. Uh, Medeski Martin and Wood, Groove Collective, Fish. Uh, he worked notably for Fish for a while doing the set lists and digital recording when it was first going in the, in the early 2000s. Fast forward much later, and he got involved with Bong Appetit on Vice and became the world's first cannabis producer as a title on a film or a TV show. So without further ado... Let's jump right in, and here we go. I'm calling Jason Pinsky. There we go. Ooh, we got some echo. Why can't I hear you all of a sudden? Let me turn. Let me turn my iPad up. Um, what are you monitoring over there, bro? You can't do that, dude. You're breaking the rules. It's an awesome sound. It's amazing. Yeah, you can't have double monitors on because it's feeding back through your earbuds. Yeah, it's echoing. Yeah, there you go. Let's do it live. Let's do it live. Do you hear my cat in the background? Oh, yeah. Now I can hear you good. That's great. That, so, so 
this is before we even jump in. This is the beauty of it is is one of the things of this podcast is bringing in people into the sound design. So like there was a whole illustration of like you just sounded like twenty different ways, and there's a reason <laughs> why. Well, bro. Okay, so welcome to the podcast, the BDC podcast. Jason Pinsky, the Pinsky Triangle. Here we are. We finally made it. We've arrived. The portal is here. The uh, which dimension is that? It's four point geometry. I know, but uh, are we within this three D construct, or is it actually happening uh, at a different moment in history, or future, or present? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've recently heard that time is nonlinear. You're correct. Have you have you have you heard that? I know about this. It's called the block theory. Oh, it's got a name. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's where uh, uh, time already exists both from the beginning and the end, and it's like one solid thing that you could basically come at it from any angle. It's not just doesn't go just forward. But I our, think I saw that in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Will Wheaton? No, no. Who's Jean the dude? Picard? Who's the writer? Who's the, who's the man? What do you mean, the man? Gene Roddenberry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. He did some brilliant stuff. He was way ahead of his time. Well, the uh, quantum mechanics, as they say. Uh, temporal, excuse me. Temporal mechanics. I don't know about this. You're going to have to tell me. Oh, oh, you're talking about time. Temporal, yeah. Quantum temporal, yeah, temporal mechanics, yes. Okay, did you see Back to the Future? Yes. Do you remember that Michael J. Fox went back in time and met oh, yeah, up yeah, with yeah, his yeah. dad okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. in high school? And his mom fell in love with him, remember? That's right. His, his mom, mom falls in love with him, and then he and starts so the to whole disappear. Thing, the whole thing was that if he didn't get his mom and his dad to kiss at the prom. That's right. Okay, if they didn't kiss that night, then he would have never been born. That's right. So his fingers, as the clock struck midnight, his fingers started disappearing. Don't you remember he was on stage with oh, uh, playing right. Johnny yeah, B. Yeah, Good? Yeah, 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 he's uh, freaking with, out. Uh, with the, who, which blues band? Did, didn't he get, like, Chuck Berry or, like, or, or Chuck Berry's brother? It was Chuck Berry's band, I think, or something like that. Yeah. It's Marty McFly plays Johnny B. Good, and it was during the Earth Angel scene. Yes. Right? They were playing Earth Angel, and his fingers were disappearing. And don't you remember? His sister, he kept pulling out the Polaroid, and his sister disappeared out of the Polaroid, and then his brother Yes, now disappeared. I remember all of this very clearly, yes. So this is temporal mechanics. This was the first introduction as a ute, as a ute. Yes. You know what that is, a ute? Yes, I do. Two of them. Two utes. Two two utes. There's two utes. There's two utes. There's two utes, Your Honor. When I was a young ute, this was my introduction into temporal mechanics, was knowing that you couldn't go back in the past it will impact the future. The question is, do we exist? Like, not us, me and you, but like our consciousness, right? Does that exist in multiple places simultaneously? Like, do you ever feel like your consciousness is, is, uh, is outside of you? I mean, the obvious is like when you sleep, 
right? But outside of that, do you really think that you're in control or are you just a pawn in the game? <laughs> Again, yes, it's both. I mean, you I think you're, I, in you're, asking, you're asking me this question and, and I intellectualize the fact that I am an eternal being and therefore that concept of temporal mechanics that you're bringing up brings to bear when you think about the fact that Outside of this plane, we do exist in many other places across time. Like theoretically or like factually? Well, I mean, it's it's like an expectation based on experience. Um, okay, so switching over to then quantum mechanics. Yeah. From temporal mechanics. I'd say it's a possibility rather than an expectation. Yeah, exactly. A, a vision, a uh, uh, a possibility is the best way to put it. But it also, here's the thing that what we're getting at is when you create those possibilities, they become real. When you, when you let yourself go of expectations, your options become limitless. So like, yeah, it's possible. Yes, 100%. It is. So, so we're honing in on the Pinsky Triangle is what's going on. I was going to say, how did we even get here? Well, because, because I actually recorded a couple of introductions already because I knew I wanted to really give it some, you know, some acting pizzazz that isn't happening in this conversation. And I definitely gave it some, welcome to the Pinsky Triangle. You know, like, we're going to, we, we already dove in, so we're going to drop right into this conversation, which is perfect. But now you have you, to... You, uh, I'm sorry, you... Can you do? Can you say that? Can you do that again? I, I, I was, oh, you want to hear me do it, don't you? Yeah, like do it. With, do it with chutzpah. Welcome to the BBC podcast. Today's lovely ghost guest. <laughs> was that Freudian? Yeah, that was a Freudian slip. Do it with more chutzpah. Chutzpah. Today's special guest is none other than the Donald Pinsky Triangle, Jason Pinsky himself. Himself? What, like, as in? Like, yeah, in himself, in his being, like, collected for us. Not like the imposter? No, no, not like a, not like a superficial Gnostic, like, emanated version of you, like, like the real you. Okay, so I know who you are. I know where you come from. I know what's going on. And what's beautiful about this little podcast is right now the audience is very small and most of them are my friends and my family. And there are people that know me really well. And you and I have spent a lot of time in the last two years together and sort of like you and I have a separate life from the rest of my life. Right? Which is an interesting thing. Uh, it's, and it's uh, just come through the situation of my life and how we got to know each other and just the way that it is. So in some ways, right now, they're going to... All these people are meeting you for the first time. Like they're, the Jason Pitsky that they've heard about, that's my buddy. And uh, they don't know the Jason... They don't know the Pinsky Triangle. What, what's the deal? What, where is the triangle? Tell me. Tell us all about it. Like today... Or, like, at the beginning of time? 
Just what was the first impetus to say triangle and tie like the notion of threeness together? What is the Pinsky triangle? Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't told this story in a long time and, uh, here's how I remember it. Um, We'll take you back to the summer of 2012. Sometimes in life, you have like a life event that happens that totally puts you on a different path. For me, it was a motorcycle accident that happened in 2012. And I was... uh, Injured, I severed my hamstring in my right leg. And I needed surgery to reattach the hamstring to my pelvis, uh, which had me basically down for about six months. So from summer of 2012 till, you know, the winter, I was uh, home. And I had taken a break from work for the first time. You know, I started my career in 93. So 20 years later, almost, was the first time that I like, you know, was injured and had to like actually push pause on everything that I was doing work-wise. Which was pretty consistently music industry stuff, correct? Well, I I had done, um, I'll get to that. But Um, just as a real, a little precursor, it was mostly that, right? It was music and tech stuff and weed stuff. Okay. Or the three things that I had done for income. Right. But the concept of the Pinsky Triangle really didn't apply toward my career at the time. Um, So anyway, I have this six months that I'm recovering and reevaluating my life and trying to figure out what my next career move was going to be. In that process, in November of 2012, cannabis... Um, became legalized for adult use in two states, right? Colorado and Washington. And here I am, like, you know, trying to think about what I want to do for my career. I had worked in weed my whole life, well, since I'm 18, right? Like a side hustle, all right? Mostly friends and family. Um, But, you know, watching it happen across the country was like, okay, if the dominoes are falling on the West Coast, then it's going to fall downhill. It's going to eventually make its way. And I don't want to be another, you know, I just didn't want to find myself when it got legalized in New York, jumping in then. I was like, if this is going to happen and I want to roll in it in New York State, then I got to start now. So I started thinking about that because, you know, when you're evaluating your career and what you want to do for work, you've heard me talk about the concept of... When you're uh, designing your life. Yeah, it's like, a, and, and, and from a design perspective, the concept of ikigai, right? You know, it, it's important to evaluate what your personal core values are. Yes. And identify those. And from that choose what you want to do what gets you up out of bed every morning right what can what does the world need right what what can make you money right these are some of the core concepts behind ikigai although i didn't even know about that word until years later 
But still, I was basically just trying to like figure out, okay, you know, I've, I've done a lot of things in my career, right? I started my career in 93 in technology. And there were points in tech, when the tech industry was super fresh and young, where I knew I was on like, like not just the cutting edge, but the bleeding edge of technology in the early 90s, developing software. And then, you know, on the bleeding edge of digital music and going out and recording shows, right, all over New York City and, you know, time on the road with Fish and like combining those things and thinking about like, you know, the times in my life where I was like, couldn't even believe that this was the stuff that I was doing for income, right? And then I think about like later on in my career, you know, after I had my son and all of a sudden it was like, well, you know, gig work, right, isn't consistent. I need to get corporate. And then having years of like, you know, doing the corporate nine to five in the, in the garment center, you know, in New York City, right? In the fashion district and how much that sucked and thinking to myself, man, you know, I've had now really a good contrast of things that I really enjoyed and things that got me up out of bed every morning and things that were like, man, I'm making a good amount of money, but I, I can't stand what I'm doing. And when you try to do that, you, you look back at the different pieces of your career, right? And you identify like what your core values are. So like when you think about the first Pinsky triangle, it was really my triangle of core values. So, so rewind, you know, a, a bunch of years uh, to 2001, um, you know, we talked about this surgery I had on my leg in 2012, but really like, you know, that was the life changing event that put me on a different course. But the course that I was on started in 2000, September, when I injured myself, I jumped over a fence at a Modesky Martin and Wood gig, uh, going to get uh, dinner at Katz's Deli, you know, in New York City. And I uh, compressed my spine, I, I, I ruptured a disc, and that put me on uh, 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 pain medication and led to surgery and put me on this path for almost, you know, at that time, 12 years, right? That I had been on Oxycontin pain medication. You know, so in, through, two, in 2012, I, you were still dealing with this? I was still dealing with this. I was 12 years into an Oxycontin prescription, reevaluating my whole life, right? Trying to figure out, like, you know. And this is also, like, you know, six months before my 40th birthday, right? So, like, you have that moment when you turn 40 where you're like, you know, what's, <laughs> like, this is, what's happening, Right? And then being on pain medication for over 10 years at that point, about to turn 40, and I was on a pretty high dose, um, like a, 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 what would be a deadly dose to someone who just, you know, I had ramped it up over a decade. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't just about my career, dude. It was like, what was my job going to be? Well, man, I'm about to turn 40. Am I going to make it to 50? You know, like, can you be on Oxycontin for 20 years? And like, like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I realized in that moment that um, if I looked at my core values, it really was like uh, 
my inner voice, right? I was thinking about like what I wanted to do for work, thinking that I needed to figure out my core values for like my next career move. And I had been in business long enough that I was like, man, you know, I'd helped my brother build his company and I helped, you know, my restaurant business partner build that. I was always like a, you know, a, a, an owner, but like, it was never like my thing. I was always helping other people build their businesses. And I was like, you know, I'm going to turn 40. I'm ready to like beat to my own drum. Like I want to be like, you know, I want it to be, you know, I want to be the boss. That's what I thought. I thought I was like, I want to start my own thing. And then I want to listen to myself. Like these were my core values. And when I thought about it, my inner voice was telling me if I was connecting the dots of those two things, right? My inner voice was telling me that like my health, right? Like what's the point of figuring out like if you're happy in your work, if like you're not even alive, right? To experience it. Yeah, your hierarchy is a little upside down. In that moment, I realized that my full-time job needed to be me. Right? Like I had worked for 20 years building businesses and building my career and, and I had never um, been successful at um, focusing on myself and focusing on um, me as the career. So that's when I decided that like I was going to get off the medication I was going to get 100% off the opiates and I was going to lose 100 pounds. And that was going to become my full-time job. Like, that was it. So, you know, this was the time that weed had just gotten legal. And I was like, okay, I want that to be my, like, you know, career path. But, you know, I knew how to, you know, buy and sell weed locally. But I didn't know about cannabis as medicine. And, um, you know, not only did I really look forward to it, like being my career legally, but I was hearing all these anecdotal stories of, of it really helping people, you know, in, and especially people that were suffering from chronic pain like myself. Yeah. And then, and then the resulting opiate problems as a result. Well, you know, it was like, um, you know, I knew that I needed to like, before it became my job, that there was a ton of education. And it wasn't like you could go to school for this. So you had to look it up. You had to go to different, you know, forums to read YouTube videos. There were a lot of guys that are like some of my heroes, you know, that, 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 that just posted, you know, um, you know, low, low quality videos of themselves sitting at their desk at, at the university talking about the endocannabinoid system and, you know, cannabis chemistry and the biology and, you know, how it impacts the body. And this is like how I spent 2013 really for like almost the whole year was, you know, making my full time job my health. So that meant like, you know, tracking my uh, food intake and my water intake. And I used apps on my phone, you know, by that time to, to, to help track what I was eating and making sure that my, and same thing with my exercise. And when it came to the opiates, because remember this goal was to lose a hundred pounds and to get a hundred percent opiate free. And I knew that I had to like do that over time. It takes time to lose that much weight and it takes time to taper off 
over a thousand milligrams a day of Oxycontin without sticking yourself in like a, a, a six week, re, you know, rehab or anything like that. So that was my job, man. I, I spent all my time like food prep, uh, exercise, like anything related to like, you know, to, to, to my health, but you can't do that 24 hours a day. So in my off time, I was on my computer and I was learning everything that I could about um, cannabis science and cannabis technology. And this was an interesting time also because, uh, you know, 2012 was right around when cannabis products started to change. Big time. And, and, and a lot of the tech for making hash and concentrates really started to change. And I started to gain access uh, to a lot of these products through um, not only my own experimentation, but also through uh, judging cannabis cups with high types, you know. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's there's a real difference between the... And you had been attending high times cannabis cups since 1994. Or, ni or set 97. My, no, it was 94 was my first cannabis cup. Um, it was the it, it was the seventh annual cup, right? But you okay. so you had been attending and been a part of the cannabis cup scene and the Amsterdam scene, and you had known some of these people that that were in that scene for quite some time by 2012. This wasn't like a fresh foray; like you just jumped into it. You you knew cannabis no. fairly well. Like you had met and hung out with Jack Herrer before you really got this education. Jack Jack was Jack was. Uh, was you know an, an an early hero? I mean, you would you would read about Jack in his book, "The Emperor Wears No Clothes," uh, in the late '80s, you know, in in the back of High Times, and you know, in '94, uh, High Times opened up their cannabis cup. It used to be only staff for the first six since like the late '80s, and then in '94, you can apply to be a judge and you can get accepted and you know go on this experience in Amsterdam. Jack was sitting on the plane from JFK to, to, to Amsterdam, you know, like three rows behind me. And we, we, we talked, hung out, talked about, uh, uh, interestingly enough, with what's happening these days with, uh, with uh, psilocybin. We, we had a whole conversation about mushrooms, you know. Um, so, so, so the point being, you, you had experience. It wasn't like you were coming into this fresh you did have some pretty incredible expert experience, but yet you're pointing out that regardless of that expertise that you already had in 2013, you're learning leaps and bounds more than you. Well, yeah, known. it was totally different, man. You know, like I had smoked weed since I was 13 years old, right? Since 86. Okay. But it wasn't until like, you know, I, I started learning more about um, cannabis science and chemistry. And mostly it was because like, Jesse, where were you when you had your first dab? Uh, I was in the kitchen dweller's living room with Sean Swain, the lead mandolin player. And he uh, he was like, dude, have you ever had a dab? And I was like, no, I haven't. He's a really good friend of mine. And he was like, you're doing it now. And there it was. I did a, I did a dab with Sean and got blasted. I'm sure I left the party like within five minutes first time i got like you know a really good concentrate i got it from my friend dj gravy 
Gravy goes back to like, you know, again, the early 90s when we all used to go see music at Wetlands. Yeah. And Gravy was uh, was down there. AJ Sour Diesel comes from those days. Like, you know, like that was the crew. There were there were there was an interesting connection. You talk about connecting the dots of the triangle, music and weed and technology. Right. The career triangle, you know, music connected me to weed. Right. Those two things were always connected. So we would go out and see shows and we would all like, you know, see each other on Tuesday nights. That was Grateful Dead Night at Wetlands. And everyone would, you know, that that's that was the marketplace, you know, on the uh, outside of Wetlands or in the basement of Wetlands. Right. Gravy was one of those dudes. So Gravy. All right. Always kept in touch with AJ. And Gravy had this uh, like couple grams of, of man. It was like. It was like bright yellow, whitish. It was fluffy. It was like this hash that I had never seen. I had never seen when anything was like this? this. When was this? Oh, man, 2011, probably. Yeah, my first dab was like 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. You know, somewhere in there. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was like, it was so fragrant. Like this, like I had been smoking weed my whole life. This was the sickest shit I had ever seen. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know what it was. I want to know what it was, how it was made. I mean, that's what really got me interested. It probably was around the same time, maybe 12, 13, that I started looking it up and I started being like, what is this? Okay, it's BHO, butane hash oil. Okay, butane, ew. Actually, let me say this. I'm, 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 I'm recalling something from the memory banks. The first time I messed with butane hash oil, was in Amsterdam in the late 90s. There was a uh, there was a, a PVC tube that you would pack with weed, and it had um, you know two caps on the end. And one cap you would stick a can of butane in, and the other cap you'd have like a paper filter. And literally the instructions were it was called the honeybee extractor, and you were supposed to uh, take this PVC tube, pack it with weed take a can of lighter fluid, butane, and run it through and collect the, the, the oil on a Frisbee. That's what it said to collect it in, a Frisbee. Okay? And I remember reading this, and I was like, and this is in the late 90s. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> gross. You know, like, I had no idea. Like, I, I, I just didn't know. So yeah, my first foray into extraction, bro, was like probably late 90s with this honeybee extractor. And then here we were years later when I got this stuff from Gravy, who, by the way, I found out later, AJ made it, all right? it was, This was AJ who made from sour diesel like this amazing concentrate. Probably it wasn't purged. It was probably filled with, with uh, solvent still. But it didn't matter. It was the most fragrant. Like it was like it was fluffy. It was just such a and this was my my quest was to figure out, you know, like as I started to run out of it, I'm like, all right, man, there's a little less and a little less. And like I'm like, all right, I'm I, I'm, I'm going to be gone. This is going to be gone in a couple of days. And how am I ever going to get it again? Like I just needed to know. So I started doing research on BHO. I started researching how people were blasting and I started looking into like, you know, 
residual solvents basically was the first thing. I was like, if you're extracting the oil with butane, how are you getting it out? How are you, you know, and, and this is what people used to do is, is they used to do the extraction. They used to have like a butane hash oil solution. They used to put it on like a, a hot plate or like, or, or a heating mat. And it used to bubble out and you would just basically wait until it stopped reacting until the bubbles looked like it was gone. But still, there was no science behind it. And I've been a computer scientist my whole life. So like, the, you know, it, 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 my introduction to cannabis chemistry came through learning about how to make BHO and wanting to verify if there was any solvent left in it. You know, um, I remember looking this stuff up and I wound up, gosh, I forget the uh, the lab. It was these guys out of Washington called something 360 that was testing cannabis extracts and they would post the results. So you could look up a strain and you could see a photo of that strain and then you could see what the lab results. And there weren't a lot of companies that were not only posting their results to, um, you know, the Internet for public, you know, consumption. Right. But then they were also not many that were testing for residual solvents. Right. At that time, many people were just testing flour. Oil was still a new thing. So now you're testing the oil and you're testing your, your cannabinoid levels. But like, I want to know if the oil is clean, if it passes like the, 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 they would refer to it in parts per million. What are the PPMs on the butane? So this was like the whole thing, man. In 2013, I spent the entire year learning about, uh, you know, from that, you look at a cannabis test and you see all these different compounds. Yeah. And these compounds, it's like, oh, that this is chemistry, right? Like, it was, this is, this. these are chemical compounds. It's like, okay, what is THC? You know what I mean? Like, what is it made of? You know, all of a sudden, like, my, I never really studied chemistry and biology in school outside of, you know, the classes that I had to take in high school. Um, now I was getting an introduction to chemistry through cannabis science. And then once I understood what these compounds were, then it was like, well, um, what's the biology behind it? How do they interact with the body? And that, you know, led me then to learning about the endocannabinoid system. You know, it was like an, it was like a, a really um, it's like an aha moment when you're like, wait a minute, the compounds that are in the plant, the chemicals that are showing up on these lab tests exist naturally in our bodies and bind to receptors that are that, that, that are in our all over our body. Like what? That looks like you know, it's like, by design. I never I never really understood. And this was important because I was looking into how. Uh, cannabis um, concentrates had a more therapeutic impact on chronic pain specifically, which was my situation. And, and so during this time, you're using cannabis to help you get off the opiates. I had been uh, using cannabis. I had been using cannabis for 20 years, smoking flour. Once I started to learn about concentrates and um, and, and this is where the high times connection came in. Like I started judging these cannabis cups and that gave me access to, you know, award winning concentrates, which really was like my medicine. You know, I boosted my endocannabinoid system, 
with a variety of different profiles. And, you know, this was before, like, even CBD was just starting to be isolated on its own. And, you know, there was like, it was just starting to, uh, to grow up, you know, so to speak. But uh, through that experience, it, uh, it, it was, you know, uh, it took about a year and a half from uh, 2013 when I decided that I was going to get off opiates and lose the weight. Uh, it was October. I lost the weight. It took about uh, about 80 pounds, it took about a year and change. I still was on the medication. And on October 10th, 2014, um, I had weaned myself off, you know, over a, a year uh, to, to nothing. And this is where this is where this is where people can look at things like you have a bunch of content out there. Um, I listened to the uh, interview with you and Tom Marshall, which is incredible. Uh, there's a lot of it. Like there's a lot of story there about you and your life with fish and and things that went on and you talk a lot about this story and how you uh, uh, came around and then people can look at the next step which is you you uh, you did the vice thing at least publicly that's the next step is that you you uh, I want to say bong talk not uh, bong appetite and that's what I want to drive to is you actually have this thing with media and, and you've been working with uh, cannabis and you've been working with music and you've been working with tech. And we've talked about this, how it's media, really, that you've been doing. And you've showed me the Bong Talk video, which is great. And I need an audio clip of it. It's online, right? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. And welcome to the first annual edition of Bong Talk. I am your host. My name is Jason Pinsky. And I am here sitting with my tobacco master, world's greatest bond. And we are here live in New York City. My host is myself. My guest is my brother, the infamous or famous, or however you know him, Jonathan Pinsky. Yeah, I could send you the... It's on Vimeo. I think it's password protected, but I'll, 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 I'll grant you access. I guess yeah, because I just Jesse need you saying, welcome to Bong Talk. Bong Talk. Is, um... <laughs> You know, technology in my in, in when you think about the career triangle, tech is always how I made my money. It was at the top of the triangle. Right. And then that was supported by music and weed. Okay. And uh, they all connect to each other. Okay. In the early 90s, uh, music and weed were connected. I was going and recording shows, I was selling weed to a lot of the artists. Right. Um, you know, what wound up happening was tech was really, you know, the music kind of uh, uh, changed and went broader into media. Right. Because first it was like audio recording and then it was a bunch of video work and like, you know, then, you know, publishing and in, in online. I mean, you know, media became more of the uh, that point. And uh, that rotated the triangle where, like, media was up on the top. Right. And then as the cannabis industry started to become an industry, the triangle rotated again where weed was on top. Right. Um, this was the story. Now it's coming. I did, 
I did coin the Pinsky Triangle. There you go. What I remember is I was telling the story and at some point, which we didn't talk about was, you know, the barbecue place, right? Feta Sao in Brooklyn. Food, right? Became another career thing, right? Gotham Artisanal, my beverage company, the restaurant that I'm a partner at, right? So when I phrased it in those things, media, food, tech, and weed, whoever I was with was like, oh, it's the Pinsky Pyramid. I remember who it was too. But it, but, but, it was, it was. but it's not a pyramid because it has four points. It's a tetrahedron, which is a 3D triangle. So I knew that it was a four point that there were four points. And it was like, well, how is it the Pinsky Triangle? If there's four things, music, media, food, tech, and weed. And then it was phrased to me as the Pinsky Pyramid. And then I was like, oh, that's what it is. And I thought it was the Pinsky Pyramid for a while until I actually looked up, you know, what a, three-dimensional triangle is. And you're right, Jesse, it's a tetrahedron. It's right. not a pyramid. A pyramid has a square base and a three-dimensional triangle, right? From, has... one, from, from the top view, yes. But if you were looking yeah. at a pyramid from the bottom, it would look like a square or a cube. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, it's not a three-dimensional triangle. Correct. It's what not. happens in your career is it's about connecting the dots. You know, uh, Bong Appetit, which you mentioned, right? That was only possible because I was known for food through Feta Sao and weed and media. Boom, you know? And you were in the right place at the right time too, doing I just things. had the right foundation of different points. And for me, it's about connecting the dots. You know, most people in their career are able to connect two dots. First of all, establishing those points in your life is, is hard enough. Being able to then connect the dots is what it's all about. And, you know, I had been connecting music and weed, and I had been connecting uh, music and technology, right? Uh, then Bong Appetit came in and I was able to connect food and media and weed. And that really is when my career like launched into like, you know, a different dimension, so to speak. Because, you know, you've heard me talk about this term, but going full triangle. Like you connect three points, bro, and, and it's blast off. That's what it's all about. And, you know, that got me out to California, right? and uh, introduced me to Ease. And here I now saw like this tech company that was like, you know, delivering weed in 15 minutes. I was like, holy shit, man. You know, like I have a background in tech. Like all of a sudden the triangle is shifting again. And now it was like, damn dude, like can I actually connect all four points? So that's when it goes like fractal, yeah. you know? Like, and, we, like um, we started, that's when it goes quantum. 
Yeah, man. You know, you ever uh, you ever Google the words triangle and fractal together next to each other? Yes, I have actually. What's it uh, called? Uh, that would be the Serpinski triangle. <laughs> Can you imagine how my mind was blown? Like I'm just having a casual conversation, telling the story of the triangle, and this person next to me at a dinner table, like I'm having dinner with a bunch of people. And someone's overhearing our conversation and like nudges me and is like, yo, Google fractal and triangle together. And I Google it like at the like and it's called a, a Serpinski. It's S-E-I-R-P-I-N-S-K-I. Yeah, that's his whole last name, Serpinski. That's one name. This is the dude that yeah. like, you know, just like Mandelbrot and like like he's one of the fractal Dudes. He's a mathematician. Yeah, he's a genius mathematician, Serpinski. That's when I was like thinking about quantum mechanics and temporal mechanics at the same time. I know, and, and like, then you're introduced to that idea at dinner while you're Yeah, I'm like, am I I'm like I'm like am, am I this guy? Is this is this the like you know, like holy like you know, I, like my my whole life and his whole life flashed in front of me. I had like that moment. <laughs> I was like, you know, maybe, maybe that, you know. <laughs> you were definitely, there was some divine uh, uh, interactions becoming very it was just It was just really awesome that, you know, the dude who is like quantum fractal triangle dude shares my last name. Yeah, that was a moment for me. You ever think you were somebody else in time, Jesse? You ever have a moment where you were like, oh, I was probably that, I mean, Outside oh, yeah, I've of... had a few of those moments. <laughs> least you've been there for one of them, at least. <laughs> yeah, so that's what it's really about, man. It's about connecting the dots. Like, if you really want to get down to its essence, like, what's the triangle about? And believe me, like, I didn't know any of this shit. I didn't go into this, like, knowing this. Like, this whole process of... You know, identifying the triangle and thinking of it as a three-point triangular thing and realizing that it was actually four-point geometry and that four-point geometric shape was multidimensional, was three-dimensional in nature and thinking about, you know, the, the, the fractal nature of that. And even though there's a certain number of points on a tetrahedron, when it goes fractal, it's infinite. You ever look at video game development? You look at like a wireframe image of like 3D built worlds in computers? Yes. Fucking triangles, man. Yeah. yeah. I started to see this geometry. Now, granted, I was going through like my second midlife crisis, moving out to California and like getting resettled out here. There may have been some psychedelics involved, you know, but like you have these moments where you start to see patterns and yeah, man, it was like, it was the, this, this evolution of, uh, of my own personal story that became told through the lens of this um, geometry. Which is a, a pretty incredible realization to come to it after 40 and having gone through all that you've gone through and seen all that you've seen and then and to realize that you're learning on such a childlike level. Well, knowledge is what keeps us young. I mean, they, they talk about, you've seen the maps study, right? That like takes like a, a heat map of the brain and they've Who's got maps? like the child. Who's maps? What's maps? What do you mean by maps? 
the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. Ah. Right? MAPS is a non-for-profit, um, you know, um, donor-driven, you know, supported organization that is like, you know, kind of carving the path for psychedelic research and the therapeutic use of certain psychedelic compounds for lots of different things. So just like the, the cannabis movement, right, is uh, opening the pathway for plant medicine, there's lots of other plants that contain a lot of other compounds that could be used therapeutically, and MAPS is one of the uh, leading organizations taking the donations that they get and using it for real research uh, and then getting... Um, you know, new compounds the, legalized. Le the leading organization, correct? I mean, yeah. there's you have well, the Shulgin Institute and a, and a couple others that are doing things, but MAPS is really leading the charge, like with the UN, with the U.S. government, like all over the place. It's great. It's great. I mean, but there are a lot uh, more, uh, a lot, uh, you know, the psychedelic movement is becoming a lot more saturated right now. So like, you know, there's a lot of organizations that are, you know, helping to carve the path, but MAPS has been doing it forever. And I remember seeing a, a graphic that they had put out that showed the human brain. And it was like a top-down view looking at the brain. And there were three images. On the left was a child's brain, and it was, like, lit up. Like, there were all these, like, you know, however they did the graphics, it looked like, like a, a brain, but then there were all these, like, pathways. The know, neural activity. Like, they were highlighting totally. the neural activity, right? I don't know if it was the neural activity or just, like, the learning pathways, or I don't know what the hell they were showing, but it was lit. Yeah, okay? it was on. And it was on. And then they showed an adult brain in the middle, just next to it, and it was dim. It was like looking at two opposite contrasting things. And then to the right of that, they showed an adult brain um, on LSD. And it was identical to the child's brain, lit. And um, this is where I started thinking, you know, microdosing had become like, you know, a thing. You'd heard all of these Google dudes in NorCal would take a, a, a one drop of LSD and put it in a bottle of water and mark it into 10 different sections. And they would just drink one little section every day, not enough to get them high, but enough to have just a therapeutic dose. And their brains were like, you know, these were the guys that were like, you know, fucking Google, <laughs> you know, like really smart people. I did that for a but year like, and a half because of that of that trend yeah yeah well i was in new york and we didn't have access to like you know good liquid acid and you know i was thinking at the time children aren't like tripping on acid either right what are children doing to naturally get their brains in their state they're learning so this is i'm bringing you full triangle right back to our earlier point it's the knowledge that I was really going after. It was trying to create enough new experiences because this is what happens with kids, is kids are learning constantly because they're, it, they're faced with newness, always. That's why the child's brain is lit. Uh, for me, at that point in my life, getting divorced, moving to California, getting off OxyContin, blasting off in my media career and going full fractal triangle with weed tech at ease. You know, man, it was like the, the knowledge and the, the learning and the newness was what I was after. And then getting out to California and 
falling in line with the NorCal psychedelic research community, you know, that really was a, was a, 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 an interesting experience to have my brain lit from new experiences and then to enhance that even further with other uh, plant medicines, right? And which was incredibly helpful, right? Well, yeah, but you know, the point is it, it was a, it was a um, evolving process. It's okay, still evolving. So, so now, so now we've really set you up. We know who you are. We know where we're at. We like, uh, but before we go any further, it's time to bring in BDC Podcast's first sponsor, Barney and Fox Hash Products, which is Gwyn and I's passion project for hash. Enjoy. Hello, world. Welcome to Barney and Fox. We are excited to bring to you all of our knowledge and information as we explore the wonderful world of hash. From the importance of growing and finishing your plants properly, to drying, curing, sieving, washing, we explore it all. Come with us on Instagram at Barney and Fox. Can't wait to see you there. All right, and now back to our regularly scheduled program. I'm going to set up a little bit of what I know about you currently, which is you've gone through all of this. You've been involved very closely with the music scene, things that I've loved for a long time. You mentioned Medeski, Martin, and Wood. You briefly mentioned Fish uh, and all these other cool bands that uh, we grew up on in the 90s and the 2000s. You were around that. You were working for those guys. You were on tour. You're in the weed scene. You go to the first uh, open to the public uh, cannabis cup in Amsterdam. You uh, you have this like sort of almost like you have to realize guys like me and we were reading High Times and, and after the fact realizing that guys that you had been to that cup and I was sitting in Montana going, God, I wish I could do something like that. And and so there's this sense of like you're sort of being carried along and 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 you're um, conscious of it and and being gifted this stuff. And now here you are uh, when I meet you two years ago, three years ago, almost uh, or for almost four years ago now, I think 2018, the beginning of 2018. January 2018, yeah. Yeah, so three, three, you're coming up on three years ago. You're in the midst of this. You're kind of at this peak where you're working with Ease, which is a tech company in cannabis. You've come through all this. I meet you. When I met you, I didn't know who you were. And I didn't know that you were the most famous guy in the room and that everybody else knew that. This always happens to me. I always end up meeting people in this way, and I have no idea, and then this type of shit happens. But we start hanging out, and and weed is almost like in the back of our mind at this point, and you just brought up psychedelics, and then through our friendship, we found this word entheogen, which I see MAPS uses a lot, and we discover that the word entheogen is related to enthusiasm, which has roots in basically being filled with the spirit or having the, the enthusiasm of the divine within you, right? 
being filled with the divine. That's really what it means, or where it comes from, at least. Now, What's the origin story on that, Jesse. There, there was uh, where was it found in 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 ancient Asia? No, the first use of the word in theogen was in Delphi with the oracles. It's a Greek word that comes from the oracle of Delphi. And apparently there was, there is actually a literal gas that comes out of the mountain that is psychedelic in nature if you take a high dose of it. And they called that gas entheogenic. And then they called the state that the oracle would go into from the gas entheogenic. And I just used quotes with my hands so people could see them. Uh, who knows what really was going on, but that's the first record of that term. What was the connection to the word or the root of the word enthusiasm? Well, enthusiasm is enthus, entheos, entheogenic. En means in, theo means God, okay? So God in, that's entheo. So enthus, to be enthused means to be filled with God or to be filled with divine, to be filled with spirit, to be filled, to be happy, to be joyful, to have the presence of the creator like emanating from you. That's what enthusiasm really is. And it's cool because now it's this word, entheogen, which is related to psychedelic, only it removes that part. It's saying, no, it's like tapping into the raw root base level of the universe. That's what entheogen means. You're, you're, you're not having some crazy experience. You're actually having a tuned-in experience. So this is where we're at. We're experiencing these things. We know about these things. We're talking about these things when we meet. And now you've suddenly had this new, what to me is somewhat new, a new development that comes from your past. You've been a gamer for a long, long time. But you've taken this new turn where you see some interaction between entheogens and VR, virtual reality, or alternate reality, or augmented reality, and therapy. I, like, I've heard you mention a couple of these things, and you've said a few of these things, and the point of this show, eventually, in the really long run, is to talk about this right here, which is, you see something, right? And, and you're saying, there's this thing that I bring up all the time, which is, what we design, designs us in return. Simple concept. If you make a car like really small, then when you get in it, you sit like this and you end up hunchback. The spaces we design informs how we move about in that space. You have a really good understanding of that um, from a experiential standpoint. Being involved in industry and business and music and all of these things that are designed in nature, tech is all designed. Every bit, every one and zero is, is exactly picked by design, right? And it it feeds a function and that function feeds back. So this is what I was really interested to ask you about. Where do you see this going? What do you see in theogens and, and virtual reality experiences or augmented gaming experiences going to aid humanity? Cause you're clearly interested in it. Well, I think it's, again, a matter of connecting the dots. And, you know, you touched on a few different things just now. You know, virtual reality, augmented reality, gaming, entheogens, plant medicine, right? These are all these different points of interest 
right? And then it's a matter of like how to connect the dots, how to go full triangle. And it's all connected, right? Like, okay, well, music, right? Maybe cannabis is not the actual point. Just like music evolved into media, maybe cannabis evolves into plant medicine or entheogens. That's cool, man. This is the this is that aha moment where I'm actually thinking about how the points on the triangle change over time. My experience with music connected me to my experience with weed. My experience with music connected me with my experience to psychedelics. And when you are contemplating the question of consciousness, like higher consciousness, right? Like we talked about earlier, right? Does my consciousness exist in past, present, and future at the same time? Like, you know, you have to, uh, and then you think about what reality is or what our reality is or virtual reality, you have to alter your consciousness or augment your reality in order to have a comparison. A lot of people, um, when we talk about plant medicine, right, and compounds that exist, you know, naturally uh, in the body that also exist in plants, you know, that leads you from cannabis is like today's story. And then DMT becomes like, you know, the, the next chapter in that. A lot of people, when they use DMT, like to close their eyes and have an inward experience. And they see all this stuff and it's like a dream, you know? But for me, that's cool. But I also frequently like to leave my eyes open and I like to uh, alter my consciousness. And I like to uh, see how these catalysts, how these plant medicines, right? change the reality that we live in and I, I want to see it and that's exactly you know what makes you think about you know when you take a vape pen and it's filled with dmt extract and you take three hits off it and all of a sudden you leave your eyes open and it's like you're in the same physical 3d space but like the textures are different and everything sounds different and you know the like surfaces of things look different Sometimes the people look different or people that may have not been there are already there. And, <laughs> you know, like you have this experience where in that moment it's real. You almost have to tell yourself, holy shit, I'm going to come back to like, you know, the normal reality just to keep yourself cool from feeling like, oh, my God, is it going to be like, what did I, where am I going to be like this forever? Yeah, right? there's a no, there can be an overwhelming sense if if you're if you yeah, yeah yeah but the point is but the point is the room hasn't changed the textures haven't changed the sound hasn't changed my perception has changed correct how you see it has now changed and hear it and experience it so when you start having those experiences where you're actually like you're not at the dead show you're not at you know you're 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 in nature or you're in your living room and you're in a comfortable setting and you know what the surroundings are and you feel safe and then you alter your perception of that environment, it starts to really open your eyes into like the, the, the larger concept of what is reality. And then, given my background in tech, these new gaming devices, right, they're marketed for games, these VR headsets. But it's getting like, okay, my first introduction to VR was probably like, you know, the movie Lawnmower Man 
back in the 80s. Virtual reality holds a key to the evolution of the human mind. Back in like the 80s, you could go to like a couple of places and strap on these monstrous headsets and be in these like, you know, polygon, you know, worlds that, that would were wireframe. Yeah, it was just not ready for prime time. Well, guess what? Go out. Like if you got $300, go buy yourself an Oculus Quest 2. And when you strap this thing on and the graphics quality of it and you put the headphones in and you're fully immersed, it's not like reality, but it's damn straight better than it was in the 80s. And it's getting better. If you think about how, you know, the latest NVIDIA graphics card or PlayStation 5 or the the new Xbox that just dropped and how these video games are really becoming super realistic or how movie production and how they're using video game engines like the Unreal Engine that's used to, to build Fortnite is also being used in virtual production with LED backlit, like, you know, walls, right? Like, they just did this in The Mandalorian where, like, you know, all of the sets were LED walls that were being driven by virtual environments that were crafted in gaming engines. Oh, I didn't know that. So, you know... It's it's really starting to blur the lines of gaming tech and like production, movie production. And when you put that in the headset and you immerse yourself into that and you think about how that tech is going to fractal over time, you know, it's just going to get exponentially better and better until the point where it becomes indistinguishable from reality. Yeah, so, so you realize and you know this, that's Garrett, what you just said. Like, all the people that are listening, 90% of them just went, oh, my God, I can see so many bad things happening. Like, well, I, I can I mean, see, I can see someone get... I'm sitting here thinking, I can see someone getting lost and not knowing what is really real, like, which side of the fence they're on. Like, your brain could go, wait, am I in, jacked in or not jacked in right now? Well, your brain supposedly doesn't know the difference. Right, exactly. And it's the same thing when you're dreaming. It's so like we have the ability to create these environments and feel the sensation. You ever feel like you're falling when you're dreaming and you feel it like you can already do this shit already. And we do it in our dreams. And then we wake up and our consciousness is in this environment. And then we can use entheogenic plant medicines to alter our perception of our reality. Or we could use technology to alter our perception of our reality. So, again, the same way that I was talking earlier about, um, you know, using, using psychedelics to open up your brain versus using new experiences to open up your brain. Now, my question is, could we use virtual reality to do the same thing? Ah, so bringing it full triangle, you're seeing this as a therapeutic, this could be therapeutic for somebody who has maybe some, some either psychological or mental or a drug addiction issue, like just creating a new fun environment that triggers that newness in their brain and helps them get free or be free. Think about it on this level, and especially to any, to the 90% of, of your audience. Yeah, which by the Ooh. way, in, in less than a year is gonna be astronomical. Let's say it builds momentum over Christmas and like, you know, you have a surge of people listening in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, in 2021, 2020, right? Like in today's day and age, we're all isolated. We're all sitting in our homes. I can't go out on the street today in Los Angeles unless it's essential, right? So like, you know, are we all living in cubes and Zoom rooms or are we all strapping on the headset and really like all joining each other and being in these virtual spaces? Like there's a lot to be said about community through virtual reality. I'm beta testing a product launching from Facebook. Uh, The new Facebook platform in VR is called Facebook Horizon. And like you are represented by your 3D avatar and your other people and you walk around and talk to people. I mean, it's like, you know, it's it's really like the evolution of where uh, social interaction is going, where we're not representing ourselves just by our posts, but we're representing ourselves by our our posts, including our our person, our, our virtual version of ourselves. And, you know, so from a community standpoint, this is potentially the evolution of how things are going. And it's actually like really connecting all of us in a, in a really amazing way. If you think about the, the silver lining, right? So being able to do that in more mature environments through VR is really a cool thing. Um, and when it comes to the psychedelic movement, You know, we really saw a lot of that being uh, propelled in cannabis through therapeutics and through, um, you know, medicinal kind of front. So my vision is connecting the dots of both of those things where, you know, if uh, they just, for example, uh, in Oregon made uh, psilocybin legal with assisted therapeutics, right? Like, you know, having a guided psilocybin experience is now like a thing. So why shouldn't you be able to do that in a VR headset with your therapist guiding you through that experience and in whatever environment you want to create? You know, so that's where I see the first step is um, using VR as a platform to enhance the plant medicine movement through guided experiences. And that's what you're seeing right now, whether it's ketamine, you know, you go to a ketamine clinic, or, you know, you, you sit down with a therapist and you have a safe environment. Maybe there's a, a future where people can be in a home setting, but then still like be connected to their therapist or, or whatnot in a, in a virtual environment. So I don't think anybody, you know, you see these things happening, right? In, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, crypto was the crypto and cannabis were the big ones. Now it's psychedelics and gaming and virtual reality, right? Right. So now it's like, well, how do you connect the dots of those two things? And these are just some of the things that I'm thinking about. Well, that's it. That's exactly what I wanted to get at. And it's incredibly interesting stuff. I think that it's hard to say what's going to happen over the next 10 years, right? People who are 60 and 70 years old, they might hear what you're saying and be kind of like, drugs and video games? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, and that's where I, I want to ask, what are the things that we do to sort of ensure or shore up or help make sure that those fears are alleviated and that that wisdom, because there's got to be some wisdom to those thoughts. I think cannabis did a pretty good job of that. Like the way that the way that cannabis rolled out and just cannabis was such so good at showing up and showing the benefits. Yeah, I think it was a total paradigm shift. You know, if you think about the new narrative 
on cannabis as a core system, right? As an essential nutrient, essential to human health. That is a total opposite of the last century of narrative. So when it comes to the current fear about gaming and other plant medicines, it's not the first time that, uh, that history right, and time is able to, you know, put a different story attached to a different belief. So, so your son, Jordan, who's 13, right? He, he's a gamer, right? Like you guys game together, right? You guys play Warcraft? Yeah. Um, a lot of fathers and sons go camping and we go slay dragons virtually. <laughs> you know, and you told me the other day he's been like uh, leading the he's been leading the charges. Well, Jordan plays Overwatch, and um, he is like at one point he was ranked top five hundred in the world. Yeah, he's really good. Um, I think the thing that people don't grasp, unless you have witnessed or been in a gaming community, is not the gaming part of it but the community part of it the gaming community is more about community the game is just like the environment where people go it's like the thing that people do but these games require teams they require uh roles they require um consistency and communication and showing up uh, it's no different than playing with an orchestra. It's no different than playing on a basketball team. It's uh, actually, in some cases, highly competitive. You know, like I think about my friends that I know from Warcraft. That you know, gaming platform was launched in 2005. You know, so we're coming up on 15-year relationships that I have with people that I've never met, but that still show up to the same place. And it's like you know. So there's, a, there's really more of a community, and especially when you think about today, people are having Zoom bar mitzvahs and Zoom's giving, you know, and Zoom Easter. Zoom's miss. Merry Zoom's miss. Merry Zoomza. Happy, happy Zoomica. So my point Zoom-a-dum. is, you know, it's nice to see, like, you know, your, like, people's faces in a little box. But like, how about if we all showed up in Azeroth and we're all represented by our digital character and we all went questing together and we all killed like like when you all show up in virtual environments and everyone is on headsets and has voice communications and sees each other. But it doesn't look like them. It looks like their game version of them. And then the game creates an an experience for everybody to participate in together it's all centered around a story like it's one thing to go in like a lot of people play you know call of duty you know a lot of these games have like you know like multiplayer mode where it's just everyone's trying to kill each other but a lot of these games also are powered by story mode campaign mode where you're going through an experience and it's like it's almost like the new genre of reading but you can't turn the page and read what happens on the next page until you and a group of your friends have all achieved a really hard thing to do that requires like, you know, coordination. And then you get to like see the next page and you're on the edge of your seat 
because the story is so fucking good that you just want to turn the page, but you can't until you actually level up and get the experience. You know, if you think about this gaming environment and experience, it's a fucking metaphor, Jesse. Gaming is a opportunity for us to experiencing leveling up. And when we have that experience and that attachment to our virtual self, our digital self, that could be knowledge that could be used to level up your physical self. Trust me, man, in 2012, 13, when I got up, when I'm like, I'm going to get off the opiates and lose 100 pounds, I definitely used my experience in gaming and the discipline of logging in every day and all these mini milestone achievements that were leading toward a larger goal. I mean, the larger goal could be something like being able to fly in the game versus like having to walk around, you know, like something like as basic and as awesome as like, you know, transportation. And believe me, when you get the achievements and you unlock flying, it's like, it's like being on a motorcycle for the first time in real life. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like a whole new, so you want to work toward that and you want to set those goals. And, and, and this is the thing, gamers that have the discipline to level up can and should think of that same philosophy in terms of leveling up in their, you know, personal lives. And so I think that's a, a lot message. of them do. I, th- I, I mean, my son, I, I went through this where my oldest son, who's now 15, coming up on 16 pretty quick, he took to gaming at a young age, and the first thing that he did was get excited about YouTubers. And it was PewDiePie and Markiplier and Jacksepticeye and all these other dudes that were on YouTube. Just, to me, what at the time when I first heard it was just a lot of loud, annoying voices playing video games and shouting. But then I tuned into what was going on and I realized, wow, what you said, this is a huge community. These people have massive influence. The one that really got me was Markiplier. Uh, because Elias really liked him. So I looked up him and I just started to like him. I was like, this dude, he's a rock climber. He's got a girlfriend. He's got like a cool life and he's a filmmaker and he does all this cool shit, but he's like known amongst kids for being a video game player. And he's one of the biggest YouTube stars there is. And, And I just realized, oh, this is actually a dude I want my son to look up to and it seemed to me that he had that embodiment of what you just said which is the leveling up well if you think about it the technology again is the driving force behind why i mean like you know youtube as a platform is possible is standing on the shoulders of those of us in the early 90s that were like pioneers of technology You know, for me to have worked in tech in the early 90s and then, you know, helped in any way, shape or form be part of creating the infrastructure that allowed for us to broadcast ourselves. And then that same platform, YouTube, was the platform that I then used to gain the knowledge to propel me into the next part of my career and to my health for us to broadcast ourselves. So we were disseminating our own information to think about how the convergence of then gaming and broadcasting gaming became a thing through the use of technology. Again, 
you know, you started seeing this in music. This is my story, which went from like, you know, two track to multi-track to like a video to multi to, to like a multi-camera shoot, right? The same thing happened with home studios, right? People started like, you know, audio gear. It became affordable enough for the, uh, you know, for gear, for people to make the make up, make their own music, like without having to get a label contract and book the studio time. And then the same thing happened really with broadcasting, right? The tools today to allow a streamer to bring up a broadcasting software that brings in their game and brings in their video feed and brings in a browser window and brings up all these different elements when links it to their social account, whether it's Twitch or Facebook or YouTube and interacts when people like and brings up a little box so that the messages can show up. I mean, these are all like, you know, making a goulash. They're all ingredients of a layout that you hit start stream and it starts broadcasting. And this is a new like genre, right? If you think about it, like, you know, everyone's on Zoom. Have you seen Twitch, <laughs> you know? And then Twitch is going to be like, you know, uh, uh, ancient when we're all connecting together in virtual environments, right? Yeah, it's moving radically fast. So I think that's been, you know, an, another kind of passion project for me is now taking my gaming experience and broadcasting it. And even though it's not like I'm becoming a, a, a personality, like I, my intention is knowledge. I'm literally learning how to set up all this stuff through my experience through. Um, and your, you your know, gaming channel is called the Pinsky Triangle on Facebook, correct? It is called the Pinsky Triangle on all popular. Yeah, you can find me on Twitch and you can find me on uh, Facebook. And uh, please follow the stream. That's what we want. We want follows, right? Yeah, uh, go follow Jason Pinsky's gaming stream. Uh, many of you are definitely into video games. I know you are. Um, I could think of like 10 people off the top of my head that should go do this. And so what be. I'm doing is uh, I'm doing it a little differently because everyone's broadcasting like the same stuff. Um, but what I have uh, is uh, I recently got an ultra-wide... 49 inch uh, display that's like 5,000 by 1440. It's super wide. It's like, remember when, uh, when uh, landscape mode came out, you know, like it's, it's a different format. It's like a 70 millimeter movie experience or going to the IMAX. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm broadcasting in an ultra wide format, which nobody I, I haven't seen and that's what keeps it interesting to me is like, you know, it's a, it's something new, it's fresh, it's different. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so. And so, and so when someone tunes in to you, it's possible that you might be riding with the young prince through Azeroth taking down yeah, some giant dragon. Yeah, like if dragon. you want to hang out with, yeah, like if you want to hang out and if you're into Warcraft uh, and you want to come in game, uh, now's a really great time. The new expansion called Shadowlands just dropped. And for new players, the new leveling experience is really like uh, has been refined uh, for new users. And I can tell you that, like, you know, you guys can all hang out in Zoom or you all can hang out in uh, 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 what's the what, what, what's the new one that uh, 
that just dropped. Uh, I don't know. Clubhouse. Have you heard about Clubhouse? No. Oh, Clubhouse is the new invite only. Invite me in, bro. What are you doing? You're already on there. You didn't invite me in. I, you know what? I got one invite, and I didn't. And I really actually wanted to save it for like the right person. And it's you, dude. It's a hundred percent you, man. There you go. It's you. There it is. So I, I've got like this. The... So I've got this. I got this. It's beautiful. Go follow Jason uh, on the gaming platforms. You're on Instagram. You're on Twitch. You're on Twitter. You're everywhere there is. Jason Pinsky, the Pinsky Triangle. And here's what we're gonna do. Here's how we're gonna go out. There's gonna be some really good rock and roll, okay? Like like flames type of rock and roll. And then uh, in comes. The prince and the king himself chasing a dragon. We're going to hear some sounds of Warcraft going on as they take down some big monster that they're going to campaign on. Because I know they campaign once a week at least. So we're going to record some sounds of that. We're going to hear some rock and roll and some and the boys taking out a dragon or something. Here we go. It's been lovely talking to you, bro. Thank you for being my first guest. Yeah, well, keep connecting the dots, Jesse. Good work. You too, man. Thank you. And here we go with the rock and roll and the flames.